Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 155, air date August 8th, 2017. In, in all these, ready? Yep. Am I alive? Yep. So in all of these systems, you always have a goal, and you're going around that goal, and you're iterating. And in the Indian system, you have a word called karma, which means action. Karma follows the outputs of action. Bhatta is a transport of energy. Pitta is a conversion. Kapha is a storage. And this goal, and you're using your as your senses, and you're constantly using your mind to adjust your actions you take, which is a karma, action, and the fruits of action is called karma fall. So anyway, this is a system that I studied from my grandmother. The cool thing was when I did my Fulbright, I was able to connect. This is the Western world. Um, hope, Alan, you can show everyone here the control systems engineering aspect. Mm -hmm. Input, output, transport, conversion, storage, controller. So if you ask any engineer, they know this world. If you ask any Indian healer, they know these worlds. But I was able to connect them to show basically in traditional systems of medicine, they viewed the body as an engineering system. And that's what we need to understand. So when we look at addiction, etc., going back to this, we need to know that our goal is to get rid of this addiction, right? And as I talked about earlier, we need to look at is the patient's output, are they addicted to methadone now? Which I don't think is really working. Are they addicted to just going back to rehab and spending a lot of money and using state resources? Or are we really getting them off of this? And what is this process we're taking through? Now, if you look at this diagram again, you have a goal, you have the actual output, you have to measure, you have to be able to measure the output in the midst of different disturbances. And as someone who's addicted has many, many things which are getting in their way of bringing them back to being an addict. So it's a constant um, process. So let me, let, let's move over. So by the way, this finding we published not in a, in a medical journal, because the medical doctors don't understand the body as a system, nor in a holistic alternative medicine. We actually published in an engineering journal. So let's uh, summarize. So when you look at these traditional systems of medicine, they were actually the first precision medicine. Western medicine is now opening its eyes and it's also saying we want to move into a more systems biology. And this is a new finding or since 2003. But the idea is we want to give the right medicine for the right person at the right time. Let me repeat that. Right medicine, right person at the right time. When you look at addiction, not every, everyone has different genetics. People may behave in very, very different ways also on the conditions that they're involved in, based on, in the Indian system, you called it their body constitution. Who are they and what, what's going on inside their body? And the right medicine and traditional systems of medicine also involve combinations. You never ever just gave one drug. So it, now, even in cancer research, people are recognizing not just giving one drug, but a cocktail of drugs. So this is becoming also a modern thing. So combinations, personalized things. And by the way, you need to change the uh, the, the model that you're doing over time. As someone is, let's say, addicted tremendously in the beginning or has a massive disease, as they're resolving their disease or they're going through different states of disease progression, you don't hit them with the same medicine all the time. Okay? So right medicine, right person, right time. So this is what systems theory shows or traditional systems of medicine. But in this healing method, everything was, it wasn't just someone dictating to the patient what to do. It was collaborative. It was an interaction between the healthcare provider and the patient, right? It wasn't um, one way. Um, it was cooperative. People learned together, and it was also the, the concept of combinations. You integrated many, many different modalities. 
So I'd like to think of it as the three C's, collaborative, cooperative, and combination. Okay? So if you believe this, and you go back to what I just shared with you, all engineering systems, all of the 21st century modern technology is based on these principles. So let's go to the opioid epidemic. That's just by way of background how we look at the world and systems health. Right now, this is a 2015 statistic, 12.5 million people misuse prescription op opioids. And obviously this has grown since then. Uh, this is, by the way, by the FDA. Um, $78 billion, the latest number I heard is close to more about $120 billion now. It's explosively grown. But this is the number of loss to the US government and us as taxpayers. Uh, the American Society of Addiction Medicine, I wanted to just look at, I, I want to give references to standard references, but first of all, the first bullet here, opioids are a class of drugs that include not only illicit drug heroin, but also the legal drugs as oxycodone, hypercodone, codeine, morphine, fentanyl. So it's both drugs, it's the opioids that are the illegal ones and the legal ones. So we need to understand this. And these opioids are chemically related and they interact with opioid receptors on nerve cells in the brain. I wish I could give a whole talk on how this works, but the important thing is this is very biological. Uh, that these, the, the, the chemicals interact with the opioid receptors in the nerve cells in the brain and the nervous system to produce pleasurable effects and relieve pain. So these are chemical substances which actually affect the individual biologically to either relieve pain or give them a pleasurable effect. The third bullet here is that uh, it's, it's a primary chronic and relapsing brain disease. People are calling it a brain disease. And it's, but remember, diseases can be cured, that's a good thing. And it's characterized by an individual pathologically pursuing reward and or relief by substance use and other behaviors. So it's a disease because a brain gets attuned in um, biology, we call it a allostasis. It's not in homeostasis, it's in a different mode. And it's operating in a, in a different cycle of risk and reward, or pleasure and reward. Um, of the 20.5 million Americans, 12 or older that have a substance use disorder in 2015, 2 million had a substance use disorder involving prescription pain relievers, and the other close to 600,000 had it with uh, heroin. Okay. And the last thing, it's estimated that 23% of individuals who use heroin develop opioid addiction. So heroin is almost a gateway drug to opioid addiction. The other piece is, this is, uh, this is the national opioid epidemic. You know, this is why people are calling it epidemic when people, it's, it's drug overdose is the leading cause of accidental death, more than even motor vehicle accidents now, okay? Um, you know, this is back in 2015, 52, uh, over 52,000 lethal drug overdoses, and opioid addiction is driving this epidemic, and uh, that's one of the most important things to remember. From 99 to 2008, which was when a lot of this rapid growth took place, the overdose death rates, sales, and substance use disorder treatment admissions related to the prescription pain livers increased in parallel. So that means not only did the death rates increase, but interestingly enough, people are also, you know, doctors are actually writing more of these prescriptions for these pain relievers. Um, and in 2012, 250 million prescriptions were written. So that's almost close to one prescription for every, uh, almost one, about 80% for every US citizen. So 250, that's in 2012. I believe this number has now exceeded it significantly beyond that. And four and five new heroin users started out misusing prescription painkillers. And 94% of the respondents in the survey that they did for opioid addiction said they had used heroin 
because prescription opioids are far expensive and harder to obtain. And this is interesting, right? In the, drugs in the United States, everyone knows, are sometimes 10 or 100 times more expensive than drugs in Canada and other countries. So that's something to remember. I, I'm not going to go through this in detail. What I wanted to let you know was in the brain, there's a whole set of chemical pathways that get triggered by these opioids um, that actually make you addicted. They basically tune the receptors in your brain to want to this risk-reward pleasure. So let's look at this situation. Um, in, this is 20,000 in 2015. You can see that all the important thing is, except for commonly prescribed opioids, which are sort of flat, and heroin is explosively growing, you can see it's starting around 2010. This is when the explosive growth started taking place. Right? Same with any opioid, heroin, and other synthetic opioids. And this comes from the CDC. So what are the current methods of treatment? Remember I told you that Western medicine is really good when you have, you, you know, God forbid someone gets in an accident, you go and we can do microsurgery. You know, you have some major, you know, pain. You know, you have great ingredients for that. But the methods of current treatment are fundamentally two. These are fundamentally what people do. Uh, it's where you segregate the patient. And this comes from, I believe it's called the Minnesota model, right? So a set of academics in Minnesota said, okay, you gotta take these patients out of their home environment, put them somewhere else, and they need rehab. And a variation of that was expensive rehab, right? Where you pay to a nice spa um, up in Malibu or something. But that, the idea was, it was a set, but you're removing the patient out of their normal surroundings and you're taking them somewhere else. And the idea is by removing them out, that's where you can help them. It, one interesting thing to point out was this came, this was originally called a 28-day program post the GI Bill, and it wasn't really based on science, even though the scientist academics said it was, was based on the fact that's how long the GI Bill paid for 28 days, okay? So it wasn't based on any sort of behavioral thing. It was like, okay, we can get paid for 28 days. Um, but it was fundamental, you take them out of the home, put them in a separate facility. So the key thing here is a patient is no longer in their original surroundings with all the disturbances. Remember that systems diagram? In a normal thing, you have disturbances, you have kids, family, all the other things. You're, ta you're taking them into many ways a laboratory environment, which is not normal, okay? The other models, you aggregate the patients, which means you tell them to come. In fact, I, I remember a couple of years ago, someone wanted to use a portion of our building for a methadone clinic. But the idea was people come here um, and they have to do seven times a week, as I understand. It's every day in this model. They have to go to a central clinic and, they were, and fundamentally they're replacing one opioid with another, right? So you're, you're not solving the addiction problem. What was our goal, right? From a systems diagram, we want to solve the problem. Here you're eliminating the disturbances, which, is, which you really can't do, right? And here you're basically uh, switching them, you're not really affecting the goal, you're basically getting them on something else. But these are the two different modes of recovery. From the statistics that we've seen, and we're getting more data on this, the success rate on this, if you look at over a year, is about two to three percent. Which means, if you watch an individual who goes through the whole year, uh, only three percent are succeeding and getting off of it. Ninety-seven percent are still addicted. And here's, by the way, some more data. If you, remember I said drugs are killing more Americans than road crashes. You know, we're up to 32,000 in 2014, and this is what's going on here. So these methods are not working. In fact, in Massachusetts, uh, it's even worse. 
So if you look at Massachusetts, the U.S. statistic is about the number of uh, age-adjusted opioid-related deaths. We have about you know eight, ten, eight to ten per 100,000. Massachusetts is roughly right now around 23. Okay, so it's almost 300 percent more. And think about it: we're in the mecca of medicine here, right? Harvard, you know, MIT, Mass General, Brigham. So this is a very interesting number. In fact. As we got data and we looked at across the state between 2001 and 5, by the way, the dark blue represents higher death rates and opioid-related uh, opioid deaths. You can see Western Mass didn't have a lot here, but this is what happens in 2006 to 10, and this is where it's at around now. So it's pretty interesting when you look at the, it's, it's literally gotten, and we, we can see a lot up here, you know, in, the, in these centers, South Shore. Um, you know, Western Mass still looks like it's okay, but it's not, it's, it's gotten significantly affected. So the reality is, when you look at these methods, if I go back to them, I, would, I could say, just from the results, if you're running a business, these methods are not working. They're basically not addressing the real problem. So what I wanna share with you is what we discovered um, was there are systems-based approaches which was practiced in Massachusetts which had significant success, and from, for some reason it was shut down, which we can talk about. And this was a systems-based approach, as far as I can tell, and this is not our thing, this is something that was done by a group of doctors, uh, which I'll come to, but it was a four-part system. Again, it wasn't, remember, combination, right? They didn't just use one approach, they used a combination approach. First thing was they addressed the problem right where the disturbance was, so that's a good thing from an engineering standpoint, right? You're going, you're, you're trying to figure out a solution in the midst of disturbances. So for example, if I look at that thermometer, you know, there's a reason the thermometer's over there and it's not over there. Anyone know why? Because if you put the thermometer there and the window's open, it's a disturbance, right? You'll, the, the room will get very, very hot because in the midst of that disturbance, the thermometer would think it's much cooler in the room so it starts sending in more hot air. So you have to be able to handle things in where the disturbance is taking place. So this four-part system was based on, hey, wait a minute, we're not gonna give them methadone. We're not gonna take them out and, you know, $5,000 a day, whatever the rehabs were. We're gonna keep them in their home because that's where they're gonna be. Most of these people cannot afford, first of all, uh, to go some, somewhere, so let's address it in the home. So it's a home detox program. And this program involved at various stages of detox giving very particular low dosage, particular drugs off withdrawal so they could move through different phases of withdrawal. But that wasn't sufficient. You wanna have a program, this is sort of getting into lifestyle now. So you have to maintain their sobriety. This is counseling, it's layering in uh, dietary support, etc., and then their sobriety enhancement, so you give them meaningful things to do in their life, right? So it's a holistic program, you're moving them from in their home environment, maintenance, and then detox. And then the other piece is, remember we had that loop, where you're doing follow-up checkups. So this was a model that had significant effects, and I'll show you, this, this was practiced between nearly 20 years. 250,000 patients went through it, and in that same one-year period, 50% uh, of the people uh, did not you know, uh, uh, take opioids. That's significantly different than the 3% we have with aggregation and segregation. 42 nurse practitioners were involved, 30 doctors, and over 200, close to 300 people involved in this. So you can see this had, an, in fact, in 2010, it won a major award because it hit around 140,000 people. This system, relative to what we're seeing today, actually worked. And isn't it interesting, 
if you look at when this system was shut down, and I was looking at these data, this is around when this started exploding in Massachusetts. And I'm not saying it's a correlation, but this was a system that was in place, and it gets even more interesting, the clinics that were practicing were shut down in 2011. Martha Coakley led the attack against us as a system of care, and the lead doctor was sent to prison for eight months. Um, in fact, there's a movie coming out on this called Hero in America, Lock Him Up and Shut His Clinics Down, and it's gonna be coming out soon. If you want, you can look at the trailers. But what we see happening, when you look at it from a systems perspective, getting back to these parts, is that it looks like there is an addiction industry potentially. That that addiction industry drives a criminal justice industry, which drives a corrections industry, which is prison, which drives the ex-offender industry, which drives the homeless industry, which drives the addiction treatment industry. So it looks like there's an engine here, and it really makes us wonder why when this system was in operation, which looks like it was a holistic system that worked, why was it shut down? One of the things we're gonna be doing in our uh, place here is we're gonna be, um, so we don't, we don't, we're not interested in the politics of that, what care, but what we are gonna do is the, the lead doctor and the people, we're gonna, um, uh, at our place in Cambridge, we do regular uh, educational programs once a month. I teach a program on systems and traditional systems of medicine. But in our systems care program, we're gonna start offering this free, open source to all medical doctors who want to take advantage of it. We believe that it's important that we get education out because we think education is the key here. So why not take the, the content um, that was here that actually seemed to have helped and re-offer it back to doctors and let's start um, bringing it back out to the public. But in closing, what I want to say is when you really look at this, this was a four-part system. It wasn't based on moving them from one opioid to another. It was based on doing it in the home. It was based on maintenance and fundamentally affecting lifestyle. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. And shortly, in the next few weeks, we're going to start announcing. Uh, we're going to open source this knowledge, which means all the content. We're going to publish up online. The MDs and doctors who offered it have willingly come here and they want to educate, re-educate doctors and we want to really want community support to get this out there because it's clear, um, you know, I know uh, Chris Christie said there's a national emergency, but if you really look at it, most of what they're supporting, I believe in Massachusetts primarily is methadone clinics. Um, methadone moving from one opioid to another now creates other side effects and, and then you have to prescribe drugs for those side effects. And I think going at the heart of in the community and now you're making communities also take some responsibility for what's taking place. Anyway, thank you.